Welcome to episode 350 with my guest, uh, therapist Kimberly Quinlan. We're going to talk about uh, intrusive thoughts, also known as pure OCD. Uh, my name, in case you were wondering. <laughs> I happen to be here. I might as well introduce myself. It would be rude, wouldn't it? Uh, my name is Paul Gilmartin. The name of this podcast that you stumbled into uh, is the Mental Illness Happy Hour. Uh, it's a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads, from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction, to everyday compulsive negative thinking. Now, this show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. It's not a doctor's office. I'm not a therapist. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. Uh, the website for this show is mentalpod.com. Mentalpod is also the uh, handle you can follow me at on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, that's right. I'm now promoting the show on Instagram. Um, <laughs> I am 1,000 years old. A uh, couple of events coming up. want to remind you guys about uh, LA Podfest is uh, um, not this weekend, but next weekend, October 6, 7, and 8 here in LA. Apparently, they're not going to be streaming video uh, live uh, or have it archived like they did uh, years previously. Uh, so if you want to watch it, you got to be here. And uh, I'm going to be interviewing Andy Kindler on Sunday, October 8th. And um, also participating in, in some uh, some events there. So uh, go to LAPodFest.com uh, for more information. And uh, really looking forward to it. It's always nice. And I'm hoping I'm going to bump into somebody who is wearing a, uh, uh, a T-shirt a St. Herbert t-shirt, um, which it's nice. You guys have been buying them. And every time I see that somebody bought a St. Herbert, I mean, I love when you buy any of our t-shirts, but um, those of you that follow the show know Herbert was my special little guy. And um, uh, it's just, I don't know. I get a little choked up just thinking about somebody wearing Herbert's face on uh, on their chest. Um, the other event is Saturday, October 14th. I'm going to be doing a uh, an afternoon recording uh, of the podcast at Sisyphus Brewery in uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul. And then that night I'll be uh, hosting a uh, comedy show. So come on out to either of those or both of them. Or you know what? None of them. S- smite me. Spite me and smite me. See if I care. Um, so, I, I've been going through some painful stuff the last maybe 10 days or so. Nothing I really want to talk about publicly uh, right now. But um, I, the, I've been mentioning that I have in the past struggled with uh, ice cream, eating ice cream in moderation. And uh, occasionally pornography in moderation. And one of the things, one of the gifts of being in recovery and doing all the support group stuff and talking to a therapist every week is that I become a little more conscious that when I'm using bad coping habits like pornography and ice cream, both of them find things in moderation that doesn't... You know, if somebody's not using it to cope with their life, f- fine things, in my opinion. But 
one of the nice things about being in sobriety is I was able to go, hey, I think I'm running some from some feelings here, and I think it's time that I felt them. And so I haven't had ice cream or uh, looked at pornography in over a week, and oh boy, did the feelings come. I had the most intense dream the first night. And it was weird because, and don't worry, I'm not going to be that person that describes uh, 20 minutes of their dream uh, to you. Uh, I <laughs> I bestowed that on my, uh, my therapist. Um, but as I was talking through it with, with her, um, it was interesting because we could both see that it was like an arc of my recovery in healing from sexual abuse. Um, the beginning of it was um it it was um it was an adult me but what was being done to me was what had been done to me as a child and nobody in the dream was advocating for me and and I felt such rage and powerlessness and and I had never used the word rape before but I said what you did is rape. And after I woke up from the dream, and the dream ended well. It ended on a crazy high note. Uh, but it was a, a long way of uh, just going through pain and hanging on for dear life and things got bloody and, and scary and death and all kinds of shit. But at the end, it ended on this crazy note where I felt totally safe and I was sitting at a concert for somebody, and I was sitting in the front row between Eric Clapton and Jeff Beck, and they both knew me and were friendly to me. And I felt, um, I felt so, uh, I felt so special. And in a nutshell, that's kind of how bit the the recovery start. Uh, the, the recovery has has gone over these last five years since kind of waking up to the, um, what word would I use? The magnitude of the things that I experienced. And I don't want to get graphic, but there's really no other way to describe this. But, you know, my mom taking my temperature, um, rectally until I was eight or nine years old, at least eight uh, years old, maybe till I was 10. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, was, and I was talking about this with my therapist, is that it's, if you're putting something inside somebody that isn't necessary, that is a form of abusive penetration. And it doesn't have to be stretched out or pounded or um, the person even to be aware at the time that what is happening is wrong, even though subconsciously I knew that. But the, the, the point of all of this is I said the word rape in the dream, and then finally I used it in talking about it with my therapist. And it's... Describing it to you right now, it feels like I'm being overly dramatic. But if somebody had told me this story, I would have said, yes, what you experienced was that. And I don't believe that that was my mom's intent in what she did. I think she is a person who is not well 
and has trouble accepting responsibility for things. It's one of the reasons why I've cut contact with her. But all of this is to say, sometimes not running from the pain of something that's happening in our life today can be an opportunity to heal some of the pain from a long time ago. Because the painful thing I've been going through lately deals with issues of, of feeling rejected and, you know, abandoned and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it, there is so much beauty and recovery deep underneath the horror and the pain and the sadness and the tears. Um, but I have, I have, I'm proud that I have not turned away from this and that I have faced the truth of these things. And I just want to let anybody know out there who feels like they're never going to move forward. This is going way longer than I had anticipated. I just want to let you know that there are good surprises on the path to getting better. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of potholes. <laughs> You're going to get your teeth kicked in. You're going to want to give up. But there are also moments when you go, wow, I'm a fucking resilient person. I'm a badass. I'm a warrior. I, t I so want to judge myself right now for calling myself a warrior, but I am not because I fucking am. My psychiatrist told me that. And I believe him because he's dead inside. <laughs> no, he's not. Uh, anyway, this therapist uh, that I, that I uh, did this with, I love her. I talk about her all the time. Um, she got her through our sponsor, BetterHelp.com. I love BetterHelp.com. If you want to check it out, you can get a free week of uh, counseling. Just go to BetterHelp.com slash mental. Fill out a questionnaire. They'll match you up with a uh, BetterHelp.com counselor. And uh, like I said, you can experience a free week to see if online counseling is right for you. Uh, you can connect um, you know, multiple times a week through email, live text, chat, phone, or video. Uh, you need to be over 18, but I'm a, I'm a huge fan. And I've uh, forged a really nice uh, relationship uh, with uh, with Donna, um, and I'll put the link to that on the uh, on our website under the uh, the show notes. Um, here's an example of to me a, like a moment in in recovery that exemplifies the ups and downs of it. If we're open to not judging pain as always being bad. Um, as I've shared before, Ivy, uh, who's one of our dogs, well, Herbert was the other dog, um, since I've moved out from my ex, uh, it always makes me sad when I go and let Ivy out when my ex is at work um, because I feel like I abandoned her, you know? Um, and... I'm driving back to my apartment from letting her out, and I'm feeling that normal kind of sadness. And it's fall. 
it's almost dusk. And those of you who have experienced seasonal depression, there is something about dusk in the fall that is so... It's, it's like the world turns into a Simon and Garfunkel song. It's like, you know, the leaves are kind of falling down, but not like in a beautiful, oh, look, you, you know, the everything's orange and beautiful. More like a, you know, we all shrivel up and die and eventually blow away as dust. And it's, you know, your life is kind of like the sunlight. Uh, you're going down. It's, uh, it's just going to get colder and darker. And so I'm, I'm feeling all of that, that fall sadness, the ivy sadness, the thing that I've been going through sadness. And I'm like, let me, Jesus, let's listen to some fucking upbeat music or something. And so every song I'm randomly playing is some sad song. And after like the sixth one, I hit the button to fast forward to the next random song and it's this song from the 70s called Feelings. It just goes, Feelings. And as soon as I heard it, I went from being sad to just laughing out loud. It was like the universe had to grab me by the hair to go, Hey, just feel what you're feeling. Don't distract yourself. It's going to pass through you. And you'll move on but stop running. And it was such a beautiful moment. And it's so cool to be able to have that kind of perspective. As crazy as I still am, as much as I fuck up and wish things were different on any given day, I feel incredibly blessed. And then I got back to my apartment, uh, which I've told you about, you know, where the murder was committed uh, a few days uh, before I moved in. And I got out of the elevator and uh, I thought, you know, this place this place is not dangerous. There's some nice people around here. And I looked down and I kid you not, a trail of blood on the carpet from the elevator. And it made me laugh. I feel like I've gone uh, on and on. If you happen to still be listening, God bless you. Um, I want to read a uh, an awfulsome moment. Um, oh, and my guest, uh, Kimberly Quinlan, has asked that I give a trigger warning about this game that she and I play at the end of her interview. It's a game called One Up, where we try to um, one-up each other in, in terms of uh, something that would give uh, anybody anxiety, a situation, you know, germs. Um, inappropriate thoughts, whatever, all, all to do with uh, intrusive thought syndrome, which is our, our subject. And um, she would just like uh, that to be known. So, uh, yeah, if you're a real germ-phobe or uh, whatever, um, uh, if you're easily offended by um, blasphemy, <laughs> Uh, you might want to fast forward uh, through the one-up game, uh, but if you're not, I think you'll uh, I think you'll enjoy it. We both just let the dark sides of our brains come spouting out, uh, trying to one-up each other. All right, enough about that. 
this is an awfulsome moment filled out by uh, I'm a Casualty, and she writes, uh, it had been about three months since my suicidal thoughts came back. My parents don't believe in mental illness and have never even used the words bipolar or depression in a sentence to me. I was on the phone with my mom one day when she asked me how I was doing. It was a particularly hard week, so I decided to be honest for once. I said, honestly, Mom, I've been feeling suicidal. To which she obviously replied, how do you think that makes me feel? I'm so scared of being alive and so scared of dying. I was so, so lonely, but I couldn't bear being around people, and it hurt. I've just been, like, very interested in dicks. I don't know how to let loose and just be. All my alters have different handwriting, different... Extremely anxious. Affects. I am most turned on when I am in fear. My first thought was I'm about to die. Stomach-clutching despair. Ocean of sadness. I came out over the phone to them. I put myself on the Akazai in fourth grade. They told me I was wrong. The secrecy is what... And I just sat there and cried on his shoulder. And it was the first time I ever felt safe, like a weight lifted off of me. In order to get rid of your anger, you have to learn how to cry. I started liking myself for the first time. I'm afraid that people are only nice to me because they're afraid I'll kill myself if they're not. Oh, that's fantastic. (laughs) That is fantastic. I'm here with Kimberly Quinlan, who's a uh, licensed uh, marriage and family therapist. And uh, we are paths crossed because she's based here in uh, in L.A. And uh, you specialize in uh, intrusive thoughts, which is a form of uh, OCD. And uh, I thought, what a great topic uh, for for us to talk about. Um, Where do we start? At the very beginning. Yeah. Oh, and I should also say one of the things that Kimberly does with her clients is she wanted to explain the one up. All right, which we'll play. Uh, Scoot up just a little bit to the to the microphone, sure, if you would. Sure. Uh, so uh, what I do is I specialize in obsessive compulsive disorder, which basically means there is a cycle of obsessions and compulsions. And one of the most difficult components of therapy is we use exposure and response prevention. And what that means is we expose you to your deepest, darkest fear. So what um, One Up the game is, is a game I play with my clients. So let's say you have a fear that you're going to get very ill and be contaminated by, let's say, feces. I'm making this an mm-hmm. example as we go. And so we'll play One Up, which would be, We start with the fear, okay, I'm going to touch something that has feces, and then we will make it worse, and then we'll make it worse, and we one-up each other on the most disgusting, repulsive, fearful thought we could have, and we keep going until either we're really anxious or we burst out laughing. (laughs) It's usually one or the other. That's fantastic. Um, And and so uh, Kimberly suggested that we do this uh, in the interview, and I... Love the idea of it. <laughs> Love the idea of it. Um, you, uh, I directed you to the surveys because quite often I come across somebody um, who has an intrusive thoughts in um, in the uh, shame and secret survey, and uh, in particular answering the question, "What it, what are the darkest thoughts that you have?" And people feel so much shame about the dark thoughts that they have. And um, we found uh, just kind of a textbook um, 
survey response uh, that you want to read out loud and go through and and address. And it's uh, Sadie? Is that the Sadie. respondent's name? Yeah, yeah, Sadie. So Sadie wrote, I suffer from pure OCD or unwanted thought syndrome. I worry that maybe I'm a sex abuser, that I'm capable of molesting a child or an animal. Worse yet, I worry that I already molested a child or an animal, or have somehow managed to repress the memory the way that I seem to repress the details of what happened between my mother, me and my brother. I worry that children will be able to sense my sexual anxiety energetically, and that I will that will affect them and taint them in a way my father's sexual anxiety affected and tainted me. This makes me not want to have kids. I learned to identify these thoughts as, quote-unquote, OCD thoughts, a symptom of a disease I've dealt with all of my life, but they still plague me. Some part of me worries that they're not OCD-related at all, that truly I'm a twisted, malevolent, deeply disturbed human being who's been undeserving of real love and tenderness. Also, I sometimes fantasize about close friends or family members dying. I think about all the loving attention and sympathy I'd probably receive, and I think on on some level, real tragedy in my life would give me, quote-unquote, the right to act sad, victimized, and fucked up as I sometimes feel. For once in my adult life, it would be all seem just justified. I finally have a concrete, sociable, acceptable reason to feel deep sense of grief I've carried inside me for, for over a decade. So the reason when I read this, I should say, this is exactly a session I have every single day since I've started treating it. This is exactly what it's like for people who have intrusive thoughts. And you can probably even catch the depth as she explains, like that she wanted a real tragedy so that she has a reason to feel her grief. But the truth is OCD is such a mean spirited animal that lives inside us and it's basically telling us all day long how terrible twisted awful that we are and we start to speak to ourselves that way when Mm -hmm. we have ocd and and that becomes a whole separate additional problem so what she's so so it can fuel negative self-belief Oh, it can it can basically change somebody's identity completely in in the most harmful ways and the heart, the most difficult part about this is it's just because a thought they had, right? Their whole identity and life and their worth is all based around the fact that they had a couple of, you know, mixed up thoughts at the very beginning. And what happens with OCD, and, and when I think about Sadie, is Sadie is treating these thoughts as if they're very important and very valuable and they define her when the truth is these are very typical thoughts that even people without OCD have had. Um, and that her the work for her is, you know, again, to, as we discussed with the one-up, is to practice having the thoughts. But but not just having the thoughts, you have to have them non-judgmentally. Mm-hmm. If you have the thoughts and then you beat yourself up, well, you save yourself some, some time by doing that. There's no point. But if you can have them non-judgmentally and practice having them, um, 
and then apply a large degree of self-compassion. Even amusement. Right. So then I've, I've gotten to a point where I become amused by right. the, the, the pictures that my brain plays right. and the things that it, it does. Right. And it's so nice to feel free. Oh, I, get, I know. And that's so powerful. And that's the work, right? Yeah. You, at some point, something shifted in you and you said, okay, I'm going to allow these in the gate, mm-hmm. right? And I'm also going to let myself off the hook for letting them in the gate, right? Yeah. And and from there, it, those that small shift can make huge changes, and that's the beginning steps of recovery. Um, so, you absolutely, Sadie, you're not alone. This is you know, this is what I do every single day. These types of disorder, and, and again, the nastier, more disgusting the thought that I always say that's OCD pulling out the big guns, mm-hmm. right? Trying to just keep you hanging in to yeah. tell him do whatever you do. Um, sometimes I talk about OCD as if it's a third person, and that mm-hmm. just is helpful sometimes for some people. So yeah, the the more awful it is is often him just pulling out the big guns yeah or her yeah uh, ag- agreed it's very similar to uh the negative voice of addiction right that, that it almost seems like you know if it were a conscious entity it almost seems as if its mission is to keep us stuck in self and apart from others and I mean, who knows maybe that served an evolutionary uh or a trauma-based service to us as as kids to separate from people that were abusive i mean who knows right do you have thoughts on that uh well through the lens of ocd i always think of your when when we have a thought uh, here's an example i have young children and i have had some seriously concerning thoughts about my children Mm -hmm. but i personally do not have ocd so they make me anxious but my brain lets them go they're not Mm -hmm. sticky as sticky whereas if someone has that exact thought and they have ocd that really what's happening is the more they clench away from them and tighten away from them it's almost your brain is basically telling for someone with ocd your brain is telling you this is real danger run for your life your limbic brain is saying real danger this is no joke go run for your life and that's really hard to pull apart and separate when your brain is saying, literally, you're going to die. Things are yeah. going to get really bad if you don't run or you don't freeze. You're going to destroy your life and other people's lives. Right, you, right. Yeah. So it's really hard when it's traumas the same, is that when that limbic brain gets activated, it's very difficult to to react in that way where you can go, oh, okay, what is this really? Like, what's really Be- going on? Because the, the limbic brain is the is the part of the brain where unprocessed trauma resides? Well, it's where that's where we react against danger. So okay. if back millions of years ago or, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago, if we were hunters and gatherers and a lion, you know, runs up, our limbic brain says, there is danger. I'm going to send out adrenaline. I'm going to send out, mm-hmm. you know, get you get you fired up so that you can run. Usually what will happen is you'll have diarrhea or you'll vomit. Your body your body knows how to prepare you to run. And it says, okay, it it basically demands that you fight or flight, right? And with trauma, there is lots of studies to show that that limbic part of your brain is, of course, you've been through something very traumatic and and sometimes life-threatening. And so your brain will always send out that message. And sometimes it's mistaken, right? It's it's mistakenly sending you the message, you're at home in your 
you know, comfortable PJs and it's still going to send you that limbic message mm-hmm. to fight or flight. And it's hard to pull that apart. Right. Right. Uh, anything more on, on Sadie's uh, survey? No, but Sadie, um, reach out. There are some really awesome Yahoo groups for people with OCD and their support, and they've got therapists who moderate them if that helps you. And are they, uh, do they encapsulate all of OCD or specifically unwanted thoughts? There is one for just basic OCD support, and there's one for pure O. If you Google in onto Yahoo groups, pure O support group, there's one specifically for um, these these types of intrusive thoughts. I, I mean, if I could say clinically, we have set, we have pushed aside the term pure O. Um, that's actually not a clinically correct word anymore, but that's the name of the group, and it's for people who have intrusive thoughts. This in I this see. section, but in, in pure obsessions means someone is only having an obsession and they're not doing a compulsion. I and see. People with pure O do lots of compulsions. It's just that they're doing mental compulsions. I see. So that's the the differentiation. Oh, okay. Um, Should we... Do do you want to... Before we jump into the questions that uh, Twitter and Facebook people uh, put uh, to us, do you want to um, say anything or should we just jump into the questions? Um, No, jump in. Okay. This person wants to hear a discussion about the intersection between OCD and health anxiety. What is health anxiety? So health anxiety is more commonly known as hypochondriasis or hypochondria. Um, And really, if we were to look at the OC cycle, which is the obsessive compulsive cycle, really what that is, is there's an obsession or a fear or a thought that creates that fight or flight in us, right? It sends a message of anxiety. And as humans, we don't like to feel that feeling, right? Mm. We will do whatever we can to run away from that feeling. And so when you have a thought and you want to run away, often the thought is of, of an event that has never happened and it hasn't yet happened. So the only thing we could do is a compulsion. And a compulsion is a behavior in attempt to take that fear away. Right. And it will either through distraction or right. There's four kinds. So there's avoidance, which mm-hmm. we would call d- similar to distraction. There's a behave, a physical behavior, whether it's checking or um, it might be jumping over a crack. That's more of like the typical one people know of washing your hands. Mm-hmm. Um, another one is reassurance seeking. So unfortunately, Google is a 24 hour compulsion machine. Yeah. <laughs> So you can seek reassurance and get your fear um, fear explained to you via Met Web and MD or you know any Google search, um, and then the last is mental compulsions, right? Which is mental rumination, um, and when you do that, it often makes the fear go away, but just for a short period of time, and then before you know it, the thought is back, and then you got to do it all over again, right? So so in, with health anxiety. Mm-hmm. It looks exactly like OCD, and, and it's actually what we call a subtype of OCD. You have a fear, and then you end up doing a bunch of compulsions to try and solve mm-hmm. the fear. Um, and again, you just come back round into the cycle. I gotcha. So it does relieve it temporarily? Yeah. 
It can. Some people, for no, okay. with very severe OCD, you're in a constant state of panic. Mm-hmm. Um, but most people will find some relief from a compulsion, and that's not me endorsing compulsions. Yeah. It's just that, um, you know, if I'm afraid, if I came in here and I touched your doorknob, um, washing my hands would relieve me of that until I had to touch your doorknob again. Mm. Um, or if I had... Um, pedophile OCD, let's say, um, avoiding children would relieve me of my fear that I would harm a child um, until the next time I had to be at my niece's birthday party, you know, and so forth. Um, Talk about uh, pedophilia OCD. So pedophilia OCD is a subtype of OCD where you're afraid that you will harm a child, just exactly like Sadie. And... um, for people with pedophile OCD, it's an incredibly painful, painful type of OCD, as they all are. But ultimately, what will happen is um, to, a couple of things. Um, it could be that you just had a thought. It could be an, an intrusive thought. Let's say you just had an image of a child's vagina, or you had the thought that you were going to penetrate or do something cruel to a child. Um, it, it can be that, but it can also be that when you have that thought you may actually experience um, some arousal or some change in your groinal area, which then makes the person think that they are now, you know, evidently a a pedophile because they were aroused by it. But unfortunately, we are very, very uneducated about arousal. And I could, I mean, I, I always use the example with my clients, like if I point to that lamp and I say that lamp is making you aroused, Within a few seconds, you will notice arousal, most likely. And it's not that you're turned on by a lamp. It's that your brain doesn't really understand, uh, really, context. It just says, oh, you said the word arousal, so I'm just going to send the message down there and send the blood down there, and you're going to get some movement. I mean, plus, look how the lamp is dressed. (laughs) I know, it's beautiful and You can see its bulbs. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) It lights me up, really. (laughs) It's got a really sweet cord coming out of it. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um, so it, talk about the difference then between somebody, the thought processes and the actions of somebody who has pedophilia OCD and somebody who um, is in danger of harming people with an attraction to to children. Right. Well, anytime I'm doing an assessment with a new client, the first way that I can assess that is whether or not the thought is egosyntonic or egodystonic. And what I mean I by that... I love their first two albums. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. It's very clinical. What are, what are those words? Ego so, what? Ego dystonic is that it doesn't line up with your core beliefs and your core values. Ego syntonic is it does. So um, an example of this would be... Um, I. And here's the trick, and if you're, I'm very trained to pick this out, but it's helpful for clients. If the sentence starts with what if, it's usually ego dystonic, meaning it doesn't line up with them. It's coming from a place of fear. What if I want to harm my child? Mm. 
That is a place of, I don't want to do that. That doesn't sound good to me. Um, in fact, that would have many repercussions that would affect me, my life and my family. And I don't choose that. That is a very, that's an easy way to dis- distinguish what is and isn't OCD. Um, if someone says, um, I, I like it, um, I may, maybe I've, you know, I've, sort of Googled how I might go about this or I start to think about it a lot. I mean, it's hard because OCD makes you think you want to. Yeah, because they both share the ruminating thoughts and uh, picturing things in your head and some people also arousal. Right. So would you say then that the 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 latter would be making a plan right uh, for it um, escalating behavior right Right. Um, to talk about what escalating behavior might look like for um, somebody who uh, is an actual pedophile. Right. Well, I mean, I've only had a couple of cases where I've had to dismiss therapy because I'm like, no, actually, you don't set, you're not really in line with what I do. Um, and most of the time it's, it's, a, they, they have a, they have a knowing that it's what they want. There's no what if statements. There's no anxiety present, which is a big one, right? Because mm-hmm. OCD is an anxiety disorder, right? right? It shows up with anxiety. Um, and before I, one thing I will tell you to remind me to ask you is about the backdoor spike, um, because when someone's gone through treatment, they don't find the thought as anxiety provoking anymore and they think that that must be evidence that they are a pedophile it's i call it the it's called the backdoor spike it's where ocd comes in the back door oh it's like right. it's last shot right yeah. right it's saying well you're better now you don't have as much anxiety so that must mean now i now yes. it must mean so that's a backdoor spike um mm. but when but at the front end of treatment if they're not presenting with a significant amount of anxiety the 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 behaviors you're talking about would be planning a sense of joy from it, a sense of true arousal by it. Um, and, and that I, I get a little nervous even saying that because mm. I don't, arousal is also normal for people with OCD mm. who don't want to do those behaviors. Right. Um, but yeah, basically you think about like, you know, if you want to buy a birthday cake, what are the steps? You think about it, you want it, you plan for it, you start to go and look at the cakes. Mm. It's going to look a lot like that. I see. Um, the person who would act on it would be narcissistic right. and and lack empathy for those that they would hurt, whereas another person just might have um, the OCD or uh, a sexual fantasy that, that they wouldn't act on in real life, but right. maybe they uh, do it with a partner or um, a consenting uh, age play or something like that. I'm trying to 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 get all of the different varieties this comes in because I right. know somebody is going to be listening to this mm. and they'll feel like, well, I'm in between both of those right. and I want to know I'm okay. And, you know, the right. thing I always say is, are you planning right. to go do something? You're not, you know, but what about the person that, you know, I read a lot of these surveys and um, people masturbate thinking mm. about um, being molested or um, uh, dominating somebody or right. humiliating somebody or or molesting somebody, but it's very clear in their mind 
that they wouldn't do it in real life. So right. I guess I'm, what I'm asking you is talk about that. Right. Well, from an OCD standpoint, um, I don't usually go into an assumption or a um, trying to differentiate based on those behaviors because we all have some strange intrusive thoughts. We all have some strange intrusive dreams that can just confuse us when we mm. wake up. Um, there might be sexual fantasy, fantasies that come out of, you know, way out of left field and mm. we have hits us like a brick. Um, I don't really spend a lot of time trying to solve that with a client because if I do, what I'm actually doing is a compulsion with them in session. You're giving weight to it. I am. I'm saying, oh, you had this thought. Oh, interesting. What does that mean? And right. my job is to teach someone who has whatever they have. I mean, we are on We have our brain will come up with whatever it wants to. It's really just a, it's okay. like a jack in the box, right? And so my job is to teach them how to not solve what it means. My job is to have a, I am a big advocate for radical self-acceptance, right? Oh, you have that thought. They're looking at me to see what my face is doing, mm -hmm. right? They're analyzing, like, it, it's reassurance. Like, is she freaking out right now? Is, is she going to call the cops? What's she going to do? And my job is to go, how can we just allow that to be there? We don't, in, because, I mean, we could talk about this in terms of trauma and all kinds, just the human brain in general is my job isn't to, my, of course, my job is to identify if someone is at risk, right? Mm -hmm. But beyond that, if there's no immediate risk, my job is really to teach them to allow and accept the whatever thought and whatever anxiety comes along with that, right? right. If they don't present with anxiety, I refer them out just to someone who's a specialist in a different area. But most of the time, my job is to catch them trying to get me to do a compulsion with them to try to say, well, you know, what does that mean? And it doesn't mean anything. You're, right. It sounds like you're alive and your yeah. your heart's beating and your brain's moving, right? Yeah, it's, it seems like 99% of it is just processing it instead of trying to figure out where does this come from. <laughs> right. You know, right. It's, it's almost like, you know, I got these freckles on my arm. Which day at the beach <laughs> gave me these? Right. Just, it, it just is. And our, our sexuality, um, we spend so much time shaming ourselves for something we have no control right. over what turns us on. Right. So do you have clients then that say, but sometimes when I'm orgasming, I picture such and such happening. All the time. And so give me an example of what that conversation might be like. Um, and, and I'm asking this rhetorically because I read people's right. sexual fantasies right. all the time on the podcast. And I'm right. always saying, if you are not hurting somebody or planning on hurting somebody, right. if your behavior isn't escalating towards right. that have some compassion for right. yourself F have some fun with it <laughs> you know right if it isn't er interfering with the rest of your life because it's so all-consuming have some fun with right. it. right there's a subtype of ocd called relationship ocd which is where the f it's a fear that the person you're dating isn't the one now, we all have that, right? Everyone could go, well, that's not OCD. That's just ambivalence. But this is really an, you remember me talking about the OCD cycle, right? So it's, there's a, a real anxiety and fear that 
it is the one it's not the one I, and it's and then they do a bunch of compulsions and often what will happen in um this is also true in a different subtype which is called homosexual ocd which is the fear that you are attracted to a different sex Mm-hmm. than what you currently are. So if you're gay, it's the fear that you're you want to actually be straight or if you're straight it's the fear that you want to be gay or it might be a, a different sexuality. Is that uh, called organized religion OCD? <laughs> yes, it can be. Yeah. And there's all a, a complete subtype of therapy that they yes. use for yeah. that and, called li- conversion therapy. And, and, and listeners don't bother no. writing to me cuz I will read three words of your uh you know and I will hit delete uh, around that. <laughs> no, no. So with 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 um, sexual orientation OCD, it's often homosexual OCD. Um, the fear is that you want to be with a, a, a different partner. Mm. So both of these have a very strong occurrence of having imagery while they're making love or having sex with their partner of having it with a different person with someone with a different sex and it can be right when you're climaxing Mm -hmm. right when you're at the heat of the moment you have an overwhelming thought of intrusive thought about you know whatever it wants to be or a relative that's a common one too right and so and then you're going into a spin right what does that mean about me and so forth and really again this is the the exposure which we will play would be no i often give homework to clients you're going to go home with your husband tonight you're going to initiate sex and you're going to try to think about your boss the whole time i want you to try to think about your boss or your son or whatever it is that your intrusive thought is and you're going to practice allowing that non-judgmentally so and, and basically you're you're tricking your brain into saying yeah this is this is okay i'm going to allow this to be okay now right so uh, kind of like you, i'm so anni- annoyed by this knocking on the door instead of telling it to go away i'm going to open the door and say come on in right right exactly yeah i mean you're you're basically- wander around the house <laughs> make yourself at home i mean there is a really great metaphor it's a, 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 a from a, a storybook where the, a guy goes into the cave and he comes into his cave and there's all these monsters and he's like get out of here go and they they don't they laugh right but he's like all right i'm going to stay here if you're going to live here, I'm going to live here too. And they get up and they walk out. I mean, I, we talk about that. That's how I explain it to a kid in, yeah. in treatment, right? Is The only way you're going to get the monsters to leave is, is if you move in with them. Um, that's that's your only way out. And that's kind of the theory behind exposure uh, yeah. treatment. Yeah. And you're, any, you're just basically saying, okay, I'm going to have this thought. So now I'm just going to let myself have it. Okay. And purposely have it. So And so what I was saying is for, let's say, relationship OCD, we would – I've had clients – like I could give you – I could stay here for, until four in the morning giving you different examples of exposures. But an example would be, okay, you're going to set up a private Pinterest page and you're going to plan – your wedding day and your wedding night on Pinterest, you know, pinning different things. And you're going to marry your your husband's best friend, right? You're going to make the whole Pinterest page about that. And they feel such shame and guilt and we practice tolerating that. And we make a whole section for the what lingerie you're going to wear and make it mm-hmm. all kinky. And that's cool, right? That's how you yeah. do it. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, so did she wind up marrying uh, her boss, I'm just saying, <laughs> the interviewer that doesn't uh, understand. <laughs> there is nothing. She sounds like a terrible person. <laughs> there is nothing more um, 
wonderful than getting a wedding photo of a client saying, I could not have done this without your therapy, right? That's just so gold, right? Is there an overlap then between um, love addiction, love uh, avoidance, and OCD about it not being the right one? Because they both share the fear of commitment, you know, the... Right. It, it there could be um, relationship OCD is sort of a it's not talked about a lot and it's highly criticized because it's such a normal experience. But I, I wish I could sort of really give you a great example in terms of it's just different than the normal like a love avoidance. Um, I mean, you can also always go into sort of more psychodynamic ways of looking at their attachment figures and whether, you know, because we know a lot about trauma and addiction, not so much trauma, but addiction is looking at childhood relationships and how they came into the world and saw themselves. You could do that with OCD, but we don't because that ends up becoming a compulsion. Right. Um, there, It's distinctly OCD when it's a relationship OCD. There's, you can just see the cycle go round, and and any attempt to solve it creates more anxiety. I got you. I got you. So it's not like there's something underneath it that needs to be um, uh, healed. It's just the, quite the opposite. Just stop giving weight to it. Let it in the door yeah. and see. In some cases, there's, you know, there could be trauma. There could be, right. in all cases with my, you know, I, it's easy to say, no, it's just OCD. But there is also always like, you know, it could be childhood stuff or relationship stuff happening. But when treating OCD, we don't look at that because that can become unhelpful. I see. Um, and then once they've re- reduced and habituated, then they can go and do more of their relational work and 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 look at attachment and relationships and that kind of thing. Because all of the pressure is off then of, I'm a terrible right. person for thinking. Well, they can see this. clearly, yeah. a little more clearer. They're not completely overwhelmed by that limbic, you know, panic mode. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if anyone's tried, but if you're panicking, you can't really solve your relationship problems in a state of panic. Or you can't really, really differentiate you know, life decisions in a state of panic. Yeah. Good point. Um, How do you deal with compulsions when they uh, become habits? So you said exposure therapy is, is, is that the primary one? Right. If, if, if listeners can take one point of today, um, your way out of OCD is through ERP, which is exposure response prevention. Um, so absolutely, once a, a compulsion can become habitual, which means they've done it for so long, they don't even really think about it. But that doesn't mean a habit can't be broken. We break it down into small pieces and you slowly, you know, hierarchical um, exposure, which is you start easy and you make your way up into the harder ones. Okay. Um, so let's, let's think of a hypothetical one. Um, uh, I am, uh, terrified of driving. And, uh, so every time, uh, I get in the car to convince myself that I'm not going to get in an accident, I pull a clump of my hair out. Mm. So, so that's a great example because what you've got there is two disorders. <laughs> mm-hmm. You've got, you've got a phobia or, or it could be OCD, but it could be a phobia. Mm-hmm. And you've also got trichotillomania, which is hair pulling, mm-hmm. which is a subtype of OCD. Well, it's not a subtype. It's under the umbrella of a spectrum OCD disorder. Um, so I actually have a client 
like this right now. Um, and what do we do? Uh, she picks me up out in front of the office and we drive one mile on the 101 and we do it for the whole 50 minutes. <laughs> wow. And the work is to hold your hands on the steering wheel and notice the sensations of the leather under her fingers and listen to the music and notice the white lines on the highway and tolerate the urge for her to pull her hair out or it might be the urge to do another behavior, right? Mm -hmm. um, and we loop, loop, loop the one mile of the highway wow. until we're ready to do two miles. And then we loop, loop, loop two miles. And through that, there is a sense of mastery mm -hmm. um, and there's an, an ability to tolerate the urge to pull, right? So really, the urge doesn't go away. Your job is to really watch yourself and observe yourself as you ride that wave of an urge or you ride the wave of anxiety. Um, it will come down. Anxiety cannot stay up so forever. So it's it, mindfulness, it yeah. sounds like. Oh, it's totally... Mindfulness is such a huge part of the work I do. Um, and and by doing that, there, like I said, there's a sense of mastery, right? Mm. But... Again, your brain does habituate. Your brain does start to go, uh-huh, maybe the, maybe the highway isn't dangerous as much as my, it's been telling me, mm. right? Maybe if there was an emergency, I could get on the highway and drive to the hospital, right? It, the, your brain starts to think about, maybe I could. Okay. Right? It's cool. Do hormones affect the severity of intrusive thoughts or other OCDs? Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we, we're not going to say that consistently it does, but I, if I were to speak from experience, particularly women, most tend to have a significant increase in triggers right around their period or their menstrual cycle. So hormones definitely do, but so does lack of sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, so distresses. So, you know, it's hard to pinpoint whether it's exactly hormones, but there's no real, um, way to moderate those hormones, um, unless, of course, you want to go medically. Um, and for us, we still use the same tools. Mm -hmm. Can the type of OCD, the intrusive thoughts we've been talking about, can that um, come out of uh, postpartum depression? Because you often hear uh, of women uh, with postpartum uh, uh, symptoms of they cannot get this thought out of their head that they're going to hurt their child right. or they have you know, images of hurting their child. Right. Uh, is that, how, do those two fit together? Are those two separate things? Yeah. In fact, it's called postpartum OCD. It, it's, it's basically an extension of pedophile OCD, but we do understand it now to be related to hormones. Mm -hmm. um, and unfortunately, it's hard around um, pregnancy and breastfeeding. If, a, if someone chooses to breastfeed, medication can become a problem there and it's hard to sort of regulate it, but it's still very, very treatable. Um, and it's really common. Yeah. Yeah. You know, look, look, as I just said, you're hormonal, you're tired, you're stressed because having a child is actually a stressor, even though it's wonderful. Um, and some people have had some, some small T trauma around the delivery process, letting, you know, losing control completely it's absolutely um it's very a very difficult part of you know childbirth mm -hmm. is that postpartum intrusive thoughts that i think every mother has had yeah uh, i've also read um uh, about breastfeeding 
um, where some women uh, become uh, aroused by it uh, and uh, can even orgasm while while breastfeeding. Can you can you talk about that? Well, not only that, there are some people who are who orgasmed through their entire childbirth, um, which is. I find admirable. <laughs> yeah, like, my God. As if you needed another another level of feeling uh, naked and exposed. I know. Talk about jealousy. Yeah. That would be amazing. <laughs> I, I wonder, does it decrease the pain? Uh, well, I'm biased because I think, I think that's pretty incredible. So I don't know. I really don't know the answer to that. But yeah, I mean, as a mother and as someone who's experienced, um, you know, t- talks a lot about this with clients. Yes, a pot- you're at a high hormonal stage and breastfeeding is a very intimate thing. Um, and the sense that, you know, your neurons and, and your sensory there is so, so sensitive. So yes, there will be a, a lot of um, what seems like arousal or actually is arousal. Again, if you have OCD and you try to interpret that, you're in trouble. And again, that's why I keep sort of going back to our job is to take the meaning out of it mm-hmm. and to practice not giving meaning to it. Um, but I mean, the um, arousal around birth and breastfeeding seems to be less of a thing I see, um, mostly because I think there's more information about it and lactation consultants will com- yeah. completely validate, oh, that's a normal thing. Whereas- I'd never heard of it until like a year ago. And I was like, for somebody that doesn't know that that is an actual thing, that must be so overwhelming if you were to judge yourself right. for experiencing that. I mean, I right. can't imagine. Right. Right. I mean, I had friends who thought it was the coolest thing, and that just shows how what works for one person can be absolutely the the, the death of another. Um, again, it all depends on how we, what meaning we give, and how we value it, and how we judge it. Yeah. Mm. Tips for living with a roommate who suffers from OCD. Mm. Boundary setting. So number one, it's not your job to help them. And number two, probably this should be number one, but number two is do not accommodate them, right? Because if you accommodate them, you're kind of giving them a a pass for it to get worse. You might think that it's saving you time to open the door for them or, you know, Wash, not invite your friends over because they're afraid of contamination or some type of sexual intrusive thought or whatever it might be. But accommodating them is not helpful. Um, is it safe to invite the lamp over? <laughs> Only if it looks like your lamp. <laughs> well, I don't know about the other sizes and the looks of lamps, but um, no, absolutely, yes, it is. I mean, you can't accommodate, but you also have to be sensitive to the fact that this is a very difficult disorder. And... You can't take a um, stop it approach, right? A stop it approach adds to shame, adds to their own self judgment, mm-hmm. and so it's sort of like this balance of for a family member or supporter of someone with OCD, it's a it's a balance of boundary setting to where you don't become involved with their compulsions. Mm-hmm. But not shutting them down, not shaming them, right? Not judging them, right? And and I always say to clients really what you need is a hug not that that's going to solve it but that your your support team can only provide you support yeah right they can't provide you compulsions they shouldn't they shouldn't provide you compulsions so if you're struggling 
and, and they refuse to do compulsions, still offer them a hug. Yeah. Still ask them, what could I do for you? Is there anything I can help you with? Um, but uh, if you really, if you can, don't accommodate because you're not doing anybody any favors. And ultimately, now you're a part of the disorder. Yeah, and boundaries are a really elevated form of love. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you can do it in a way that's diplomatic and remind, you know, I've set boundaries with people before where I've said, I'll preface it by saying, I love you. I care right. about you. But here's something that I that I need to do, um, not only for me, but because if I didn't, I feel like I would be enabling right. you and right. I want you to to get better. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I th- I always think of talk with clients. You're not even helping them, even if they're in therapy, you're actually reducing their motivation for therapy because mm-hmm. the only, I mean, let's face it, exposure therapy sucks. It is so hard. It is so, so draining and it is work. So, and you've, so you've really got to want to get better yeah. to get better. Right. I say it's a combination of deep desire and hard work. That's that's all it is. Right. But if someone's accommodating you, you don't have a deep desire because you you can get through. Right. I could get through the day. It's not that hard. It's not fun. I hate it, but I can get through. So you're you're taking away one of the most important components of their recovery, which is deep desire. So, you know, accommodating is not helpful for anybody. It's it's interesting. It's so similar to addiction right i was driving some somebody i know had relapsed and they needed a ride to a uh rehab and i started giving them a ride and this person had been continually relapsing relapsing and i said um you're probably going to think i'm a dick for doing this but i'm going to pull over here and you're going to take the bus Mm. to the rehab because i think it should be as difficult for you to put your life back together right. as possible because the next time you think about relapsing, you'll think about having to ride the bus. Right, right. You'll think about, um, I don't want to make it easy for you right. to get all, right. all of this back yeah, together. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And they understood. Right. And then they died of a heroin overdose. I'm kidding. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and again, if you're going to email me to say that's not funny, uh, go fuck yourself. <laughs> And uh, actually just address an email to yourself and say, go fuck me. (laughs) And you can sign it with my name. Um, What's the most startling case you've ever seen? We were going to skip over this one, but then we both decided it would would be good for us to address this for a reason. Right. So... As soon as you, as soon as I read that question, I immediately knew what the answer was. Mm-hmm. But then immediately following that, my fear was, if let's say I answered that question and somebody else believed that theirs was worse, they would have the internal dialogue of, holy crap, I'm worse than Kimberly's ever seen, so that must make me seriously messed up. And away they go with mm-hmm. compulsions and self-hate and guilt and shame and all that terrible wonderful awful stuff so i'm not going to answer that question but i will say how it's hilarious that i can sit in my office and someone can look at me straight in the eyes who and let's say they have pedophile ocd and they'll say if only i had 
homosexual OCD. This would be so much easier, right? Mm -hmm. But then the next hour, someone with homosexual OCD says, if only I had pedophile OCD, this would be so much easier. And really what that is, is people value thoughts differently, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's really, it's not about severity so much as it's about, you know, whatever your thought you're having, it's probably because you overvalue it. Well, it is because you overvalue it and you're taking it too seriously. So I'm, I'm going to pass on the answer. But if the message gets out, you know, whatever you have um, is hard and warranted to be, you know, you need support and you need help. Yeah. If it's making your life unmanageable, it doesn't matter what it what it is. No. Go, go get help. For right. It. And I would imagine there's also somebody there that's like, well, mine isn't as quote unquote bad or dramatic as that. So I need to suck it up and get over no. it and figure this out on my own. Right. No, don't yeah. do that. Yeah. Uh, how does a parent help a child with probable OCD? Um, how does a parent help? Uh, number one, get resources, right? You're dealing with, um, not only are you dealing with a big monster, but you're also having to parent and love that child. It's, being a parent is really difficult. So, you, and your job, it's, it's, sorry, let me say, it's difficult enough. Don't add therapist to the list of things you have yeah. to do, right? Because number one, you should never really be your kid's therapist. You should only your your only job as a parent is to love them like crazy. Um, don't be the therapist because sometimes you need sort of an an objective perspective for them to really take it in anyway. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, if if you have to sit and watch your child do an exposure, which again I want to say is hard hard work. Most of my clients have said it's the hardest thing they've ever had to do is go through a course of an ERP. If you if you have to sit and watch your child basically suffer, it's it's a good kind of suffering, but it is suffer. Your internal conflict is to save them from it. Yeah. And if you're gonna do that, you're probably not gonna do it well. Mm-hmm. I can do it because I can I can sit and watch another kid have a difficult time without my heart breaking. I mean, my heart's breaking for them, mm-hmm. but it's not my child. So number one, go and get help. Number two is there are some awesome books out there to help you, number one, feel your own feelings about having a child with OCD. Most parents blame themselves, and that's just cruel, yeah. right? Most of it's genetic and, and unicorn dust. We don't really know. Right. So, you you know, self really the practice is non-judgment for the Mm -hmm. parents, too. Um, And and then the third part is I'm a really big advocate for the five love languages. I don't know if you've heard of that before. Mm -hmm. The book. Yeah. My therapist had me do the the test to find out which languages I I value more. Fantastic. So I have parents do. There's a five love languages for kids. um, And I have them read that. And I say, this is your job. Find out what their love language is and fill their emotional well up with love. That's the best thing you can do because that way. With, but with boundaries and consequences. Right, and, right. And- but absolutely. I mean, I'm a cognitive behavioral therapist and we love, you know, discipline. We, we mm-hmm. not discipline so much, but setting consequences and, and things like that. And, yeah. Right. But, but they're already dealing with shame and guilt and and you're if you love them they'll start to see their own self-worth through the amount of love that you're giving them and i think i think that's a really huge part of it yeah that's amazing it's corny but there's nothing that love can't right 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 absolutely
Um, oh, oh, what are the books? Uh, the the books is when so, um, when a loved one has OCD, or I think it's when a family member has OCD. Okay. It's by John Hirschfeld, okay. um, which I can tell you and you can link, but it's wonderful. Um, that one's really great. And then there's other workbooks that you can get, like um, when your brain gets stuck. There's really great workbooks that you can mm-hmm. use for parents as well. But the, when a family member has OCD okay. is the best one. What I'll uh, have you do when this episode posts is I'll have you give me links to all the books uh, for OCD that right. you can think of, whether uh, it's for somebody's own OCD, a loved one, a family member, um, maybe maybe uh, somebody. Uh, so someone you know on the bus has OCD. Maybe there's a book out there for that. <laughs> I'm writing that book right yes. now. <laughs> you seem to be gripping that 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 hand. Uh, You're gonna give it away. That hand thing very tightly. <laughs> right. Uh, one other thing too is there's a, an organization called the International OCD Foundation. That's your go-to. So if anyone's listening, I'll give you the links. But that's okay. where it's all at. Great. Um, are obtrusive thoughts in the same category as excessive rumination? No. Um, an obtrusive thought or an intrusive thought is the obsession. Excessive rumination is a compulsion. It's a behavior you do to try and solve the intrusive thoughts when we look at it through the OCD lens. So um, if, let's say, I had um, homosexual OCD or sexual orientation OCD, I would have an obtrusive or an intrusive thought about you know, having sex with some, a, a woman at Ralph's. Right or that's know, the best you can do. Yeah, yeah, over the counter. Not Gelson's. No, no, I wow. like it. Ralph's is my thing. Well, all right. <laughs> Guess you don't want to f- fuck her around organic produce. <laughs> See, we're doing a non-judgment right yeah. here. Um, so let's say I have have that mm-hmm. thought. I can either accept that thought, or then I could ruminate on that thought and try to solve it and figure out what it means and berate myself for it and wonder whether it's possible and then review every time I've been to Ralph's, have I ever had that thought before? Um, that would be compulsive. I see. Right. And, and here's where I say to clients, my job is not to reduce obsessions. My job is to reduce compulsions because that's where we set you free. Right. I see. Um, so the difference between the two would be one is a cycle of judgment and the other one is a cycle of trying to solve. Uh, no? no, intrusive thoughts we can't we can't control. There's nothing we can do about them. It's again, it's just whatever your brain comes up with. Um, the how we handle that thought is a compulsion. I see. So it's the the thought with the rumination. The thought isn't coming in over and over again. The trying to find out why is right. coming in over right. over again. Right. Whereas the other one, it's the thought that just keeps right. going over and right. again. It's probably peppered with the why is this happening? What can I do about it? But right. Some people have um, benign obsessions, which is like a, a, a song repeating over in their head, or maybe just a word over and over, or a I, number. I have that. Yeah, all the time. Right. So. Benign obsessions are sort of benign in nature, and they can be repetitive, but we don't call that a rumination. A rumination, there's an intent involved. Yes. Yeah. The the thing that you just described is annoying at worst. Right. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, how common is intrusive uh, thoughts OCD? Um, well, OCD is, uh, w- w- we understand, I mean, it's hard to know exactly because so many under-report it or mm-hmm. refuse to report it in general, but we understand it to be around 2% of the population. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do also know it to be the 10th most um, debilitating disorders that exists. So that's wow. the stats. What are the top debilitating? I would imagine depression has got to be up there. Um, that's a good question. Anxiety. I don't know the answer. I think some of them are like more medical illnesses too, right? Oh, I thought you were just talking about uh, men- no, mental no, illnesses. No, no, that's like complete, like look at the whole mm. whatever would debilitate you, which shows like how severe it is and how incredibly, you know, painful and debilitating it can be. Um, I think that's most of the... Uh, Uh, what are some of the warning signs of developing obsession and the difference between unwanted thoughts and OCD? So a warning sign, well, that's an interesting question or different, an interesting wording of a question. It almost seems so, like it would make you feed it more. Well, when I think of a warning sign means there's danger, Right. But an obsession, that's the point, right? That we, the warning sign is the war, the feeling of warning. Right. Yes. <laughs> because you and I soon are going to play a game where we come up with the most yes. stupidest stuff and the most excruciating thoughts. Um, and we don't experience it as danger. Maybe we will. I don't yeah. know. Maybe you'll have a panic attack. I'm not sure. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> right? I'm, but, I'm sure I will blush, but... Um, yeah, it's there's. I've shared much worse on, on the podcast. <laughs> you don't know openly yet. <laughs> about myself. That's true. But That's true. but I think the warning sign is the fact that you're experiencing warning. And what is a warning? It's increase in heart rate mm-hmm. and an attempt to suppress the thought. Now here's a trick: the more you suppress a thought, the more it will come. That's a warning sign, right? Um, and another warning sign would be um, you starting to react to that a thought, whatever thought it might be, as if um, it's a real problem, right? And you're giving it more thoughts than I need to pee, right? Like that's a thought. Right. I'm hungry. That's a thought. If you're starting to spend a lot of time on a thought, that's a warning sign. Um, but but um, a thought itself, there's nothing to be afraid of. Yes. Yeah, the warning sign is not that you should do something about it, but that you should just let it be. Right, right. So yeah. it's an anti-warning sign. Right. It's yeah. so and it's so um, it's it's against your intuition yeah. to when your brain is saying run for your life, it goes against your intuition to go. No, I'm actually going to let that. But that's the point, right? You've got to go, okay, this is one of those situations where, you know, I need to allow this thought to be here, even though every part of my body tells me not to. When your brain tells you to run, is it okay sometimes to just power walk? <laughs> yes, because that's what we call like gradual exposure. Yeah. And that's what I do, right? Gradual exposure. Nice. So a client will come in, we'll write down every compulsion they've ever done. Sometimes it's 17 pages. And we start at the beginning and the easy, and we work our way up. Wow. Right? Wow. Um, 
I think that I think that's all the questions I would like to uh, to deal with. So let's do let's do our our game. I might need some instruction, uh, but I think I understand how we do it. One of us um, says something uh, that uh, do you want to do what is just popping into our mind uh, and, yeah. and share that, and then yeah. we'll. So, so let me start by saying this is this is something you can actually try if you have OCD or anxiety, even if it's just the fear that you're going to, I don't know, um, make a mistake at the presentation at work. You could play this game, and I often tell clients: you get in your car, you put your seatbelt on, you turn the car on, and you start the game with yourself. Right? Mm-hmm. You, you can do this wherever you want, and really, what we're doing is we're leaning in towards our thought. And we're getting crazy with it. And laughing, ultimately laughing at it. Right. You're allowed to laugh. You're allowed to cry. You're allowed to panic. Panic is okay, too. You're allowed to hate it. Whatever your feelings are about it, you just keep moving forward. And then when you're done, you give yourself a huge pat on the back and you say, great, I just just helped to train my brain Mm -hmm. to have some thoughts. Okay. So uh, you uh, share. um, Okay. So we start. Yeah. Uh, so I, I hit my grandfather over the head with a bat. Uh, I gave you an even better bat because I thought it, it should be studded with really expensive diamonds that, uh, were purchased by swindling him out of all of his money. Right. And we do that what, um... As he's, we expose his private parts to the retirement home that he lives in. And I decide to one-up it by giving him a hand job while you're beating him with the bat. And I tell him that you are going to die and come at the same time. <laughs> Obviously, good. I'm trying to make these funny as <laughs> you're well. You're good. You're good. Yes. No, but that's good, yeah. right? That's yeah. really good. Yeah. Um, all of the above mm-hmm. uh, with my own orgasm and arousal because mm-hmm. this is seriously a, a turn on. Um, and I stand over you while you're doing that and um, tell you uh, how disgusting of a human being you are while I shit on you. <laughs> right, and I liked it. <laughs> Usually we end with I like it, or we end with um, we both go to jail and we spend the rest of our lives there with urine all over us and we die alone. <laughs> all right. Um, I am taking an axe to a row of babies' heads and trying to split them perfectly in half. I stick a needle through their belly button. I take the needle and put it in uh, a Petri dish filled with bubonic plague, AIDS, and Ebola. Actually, AIDS isn't a... AIDS is a... HIV. Okay. Good. That's actually a really big contamination OCD fear. Yeah. We do a lot about around AIDS. Um, and I um, skin their skin off their face. I put their skin for 15 minutes into a 325-degree oven until it looks like pork rinds. And then I feed it uh, to their unwitting mothers 
and as they're eating it, I tell them that's the skin of your flayed baby. Right. We should have um, prefaced this with a, with a warning for people <laughs> who are panicking right now. <laughs> it's late at night. We're having fun. Uh, I um, I think we I think we go to jail here. Okay. <laughs> We're going to have quite a rap sheet by the time we're finished. We go to jail. Yes. No one speaks to us again. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are repeatedly abused because our inmates know that we did all of the above. Yes. And they, uh, I get fucked so often in the ass that I can't hold bowel movements anymore. And, um, and I just leave a trail of feces in my wake wherever I walk. And we liked it. And we liked it. <laughs> <laughs> Who started that one? I have no idea. Uh, I, I did. I, think you I did. did. Yeah, with the with the axe and the baby's heads. Okay, so um, we'll do a health. We started with health anxiety, and I don't think I fully answered that question. So okay. let's go there. Um, I, um, I, I have a lapse in judgment, and I touch the. Um, 7-Eleven door handle when I usually wouldn't and I contract a viral skin eating disease that affects my entire family and I spread it. Um, your family then spreads it and the whole neighborhood gets it and then it's quarantined and you are shown every night on TV to be the person that, that hurt everybody around you because you were so thoughtless. Mm. as to not remember to not touch the door handle. Right. And you're totally responsible for this catastrophe. Right. Right. And um, you get sent to, it usually ends with death or jail or Mm -hmm. something, but you get sent to the highest um, restriction prison in the country where you spend the rest of your life in a padded cell, um, quarantined, and Mm. and the guards spit on you because you... You know, you were so inappropriate and made such a lapse of judgment. And the padded cell, every time you step on it, 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 it sounds like a fart machine. <laughs> and the air that comes out of it smells like old books. <laughs> Some people were probably like that. Some people That's love right. the smell of old books. And then we have another intrusive thought. Yeah. Um I'm gonna do one that's not just a situation, it's just an image. A a booger that is like four inches tall and the bottom of it is crusty and the middle of it is kind of gooey and the top of it has blood on it. Mm, so now we're talking disgust OCD, yes. which is a subtype where you're, yes. you're, you're having the aversion to disgust. Mm. I, so we have, how, how long is it? You it's said, four inches long. It's four inches long. And it's in our nose or it's in our hands? It's been picked out and it's laying on the table right in front of me. Right. Okay. So I gently caress the <laughs> booger with my index finger. And I notice I'm, I'm, I'm having a saliva influx. <laughs> and I start to notice that this disgusting booger, which is like, you know, like a off green yeah. Close color. The bottom is darker. Right. The middle part is uh, right. So lime I'm, green. Right. I'm toying with the blood and the the green, <laughs> lovely goodness, and I'm noticing some arousal 
and an overwhelming feeling to slowly bring my tongue down <laughs> to touch it. Uh, as you bring your tongue down to touch it, I grab the back of your head and I hold it there, suffocating you and your last moments on earth are being choked by a four-inch booger. <laughs> See, and we're laughing, right? <laughs> so one of us died. And we liked it. And we liked it. <laughs> and we went to jail. Um, your turn. Okay. Um, I'm trying to make sure I give, like, all the OCD subtypes a good ch- a good try. Um, you, oh, okay, so let's do a relationship OCD one, because okay. this can be really hard for people. Um, you wake up in the morning, and you can't quite remember what you did last night, and you realize that you went out and cheated on your husband. You took your ring off right and you went and cheated on your husband you have no memory of it except you have you feel a sensation that there's saliva another man's saliva all over you uh you log into facebook and you see that people are posting pictures of the things that you did that you can't remember right and you can't stop them because they're going viral right and your friend best friend has texted the images to your partner there's a knock on the door and it's the police. And what are they going to say? Uh, uh, ma'am, we'd like to ask you a few questions. Right. And you a- admit that you have no control over your body and that you're highly likely to cheat on your partner and that they should lock you. They should. You hand your wrist to them t- for them to lock you up. As your bladder releases. Right. <laughs> And your mother disowns you forever because you're a disgrace to the family. And she literally clutches her heart and dies with the most pure look of disappointment that civilization has ever seen. Exactly. And you liked it. <laughs> and you liked it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I don't usually throw I liked it on the end, but it's fun. Um, what, what other type haven't we? Um... So I think we've hit most of the big... I mean, the thing is, what I'm trying to do here is really emphasize the ones that society doesn't really talk about. You know, you have no idea how many times I hear clients say they're even their doctor is like, but you don't wash your hands. You can't have OCD. You don't wash your hands. Oh, my God. Right? Yeah. You know, statistics... Like Like that's what it's limited to? Right. Statistics show that some people go through like seven to 12 different professionals before they get correctly diagnosed, Mm -hmm. right? So I'm trying to really emphasize not so much like the one, I call it Hollywood OCD, Mm -hmm. jumping over cracks, washing your hands, even though they're still very painful, but society just Mm -hmm. plays us off those. Um, But, you know, again, anything sexual, anything harming... Um, we've talked about health anxiety. Um, we've talked about relationship OCD. I know I'm probably forgetting some, um, but but the truth is, the treatment's the same. And and this is where you know we, I have a an assessment that I fill out when I'm seeing clients. But often there's an other. You know, there's an other mm-hmm. se- a section for other. OCD just shows up however it wants to show up. Yeah. I'm never shocked. Yeah. Right. It's never like, oh, well, you don't fit the 12 things that I'm used to treating. It's always a twist, mm-hmm. which is why I love my job. Um, and so the truth is, it could be anything. 
It could mm-hmm. be anything, but I'm tr- I don't think there's any that I've. I've I have had uh, sessions with therapists before, um, because w- one of the things that I uh, will struggle with sometimes is that I um, uh, my thoughts become sexual in in nature when I become agitated, because mm-hmm. that's one of the things I used to soothe when I was a child was I would go into sexual fantasy and I was finding finding myself one time with a therapist actually with two different therapists um, stuck in sexual fantasy about them and I'd been in enough therapy and enough support groups to know that if I could share it with them in a way that didn't that didn't feel unsafe Mm. to them it it would help me get past this by by doing that and i and i did that and it was um it was very uh it was very cathartic Mm -hmm. and you know within two weeks i didn't have any of those Mm. thoughts Mm. was that like my brain's way of what i guess we don't really care why our brain was doing that but i Right, but no. In your what you're, what you're, I think what you're describing is that you're being locked down by a pattern of shame and and isolation, and that once it was out in the open, there was a mutual self acceptance, mm-hmm. right? Like she was accepting you, you were accepting you, um, and that soothes. Um, I don't see that a lot with OCD just because there's so many compulsions involved that pull yeah. them back into the cycle, but having a diagnosis is incredibly powerful just knowing that it's ocd and you're not a crazy person quote unquote crazy person can be so healing um it it often doesn't solve the problem though Mm -hmm. for someone with ocd um but um it it you know it's where you start you start with a diagnosis and then you at least you know you know where the next steps are actually one of the questions here that we didn't get to was it was about um whether psychologists are knowledgeable about this and I will give a straight no right on that which is why if you're listening to this and you're you have a light bulb go off not your lamp (laughs) (laughs) but a light bulb goes off and you're like yes this is me Mm -hmm. the best way for you to communicate that because sometimes it's really scary to say I have thoughts about, you know, molesting a child. Mm-hmm. Some I've had clients who've been hospitalized for telling a nurse that, right? That's so fucked so up. So messed up. And unfortunately, we are very uneducated about it in society. So this is where I say, again, go back to IOCDF, which is a wonderful foundation. Print out the the information about the specific OCD you have and walk it into the therapist and say, I need you to read this. I think this is what's going on because the exchange of information there is so powerful compared to, you know, again, if I had OCD and I came to you in fear, I'd say, I'm really afraid to tell you something. I think about harming children. Now, as a professional, if they're not educated, they're going to go, to the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. So it's also about how we explain the, the problem. You're, I'm having thoughts. Mm-hmm. I don't, they don't line up with my belief system, but I'm having these intrusive thoughts that the communication, and sometimes people are too ashamed. And right. so hand, I say, print it out, bring or buy, buy a book, you know, walk it into the therapist and say, this is, this is how, this is what I think is going on. Yeah. Right. 
that's that's unfortunately how we have to educate professionals yeah so let's let's finish with with one and we'll and we'll go out on it okay um, but can i say one yeah, thing yeah yeah um just so people know this the level that you and i are going to is a 10 out of 10 for a lot of people right and often oh my god i feel like i'm just getting warmed up <laughs> No, for some people that like I think I even feel like a little like I want to give every all the listeners a hug right now and be yeah. like it's okay I'm sorry if we just traumatized you. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't have to go to that extreme. You could also do flooding, which is just saying your fear over and over, right? Like yeah. um I'm a pedophile. I'm a pedophile. You're it's just you allowing the thought to come or mm-hmm. just saying the word pedophile. So it you don't have to one up it for it to be successful, right? Okay. You can go you can go steady and gentle. I'm just saying that because um some people get so overwhelmed that they don't practice they think you. exposure therapy is just crazy, but I it's see. not. It can be a very gradual stepping stone. Okay. Let's let's go out with the mother of all um you you start the mother of all. Uh, yeah, I mean, let's just. Oh, I know. We did miss one. What? It's scrupulosity. What's that? Scrupul- I'm sorry. Scrupulosity is an obsession that you've offended God. Really? Yeah. It's really actually quite a common o- OCD subtype. So forgive me for those I've missed. Um, so, And that is the mother of all, which is if you are afraid you have offended God and you're signing up for Satan's team, mm-hmm. um, that sometimes is the mother of all. Wow. Because then you're in an existential crisis. Okay. God comes to me in the middle of the night in a dream and says, you have so deeply offended me. Right. And you slap him in the face. And God's face is red, and he cries, and his tears turn into rain, and the world begins to drown. And you wink at the devil and say, I'm on your side. And the devil uh, comes over, and he pulls his 19-foot-long cock out, <laughs> and he makes... Oh, God, this is... <laughs> I'm even crossing my own. <laughs> You hit a 10, I can tell. (laughs) Oh, I'm going to lose listeners. (laughs) I am going to lose listeners. Turn it off. If you're easily offended, uh, (laughs) what I have to say, because this is what my brain is doing, and the devil makes God suck his cock. (laughs) (laughs) And I will say, often we need, if someone is a real believer... Yes. We get permission from their priest or whatever. Yes. And the priest or if they always sign off on okay. exposure therapy, you know, yes. because they know that when they can improve their mental health, they can serve their their God, yeah. depending on their religion, better. So I didn't think I was going to judge myself uh, in you're this. You're feeling it? And, and I'm feeling uh, judgment really? uh, about that. So. And I actually do too. I, I mean, I always feel a sense of cringe whenever I do it. And, and that that's the cool part is now you and mm. I practice the tools, which is yes. we feel like we've crossed the line. That's yes. what happens with OCD. Yeah. We feel like we've done something wrong. I wouldn't if it was just me and you or if it was me and a friend and somebody that knows I'm not the type of person that. Right. You know, but my fear is somebody who's just listening for the first time is going to be like he finds that fucking funny right you know and no. so then my fear of abandonment 
right comes comes up yeah i mean and i get it right because i'm not going to say that i'm immune to this being awful every time i do an exposure with a mom about her child i i feel like i'm going to throw up right because it's just like it's your child what like i feel like if my child i feel like that but my job is also to tolerate that what we are doing is exchanging thoughts mm-hmm. that's the practice right? You, right you don't do this if you you know, you just walk into work on a Tuesday and you don't have those. I mean, you can if you find that enjoyable, but this is a clinical fun way. It doesn't, it's not fun. It's excruciating Mm. for some, but it's a way to, again, give yourself permission to come up with whatever your brain's going to come up with anyway. Mm. Okay. So your brain came up with something, you know, not your favorite. Yeah. And you have to top it. We haven't finished. Oh, to be honest, I forgot about it now. Um, and you liked it. <laughs> be- and, and the truth is, the idea that you like it is often the hardest yeah. part. How do you top that? Right, right. Yeah. And yeah. I loved it. Yeah. And I actually, you know, wanted it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Kimberly, thank you so much. Uh, can people find you on any social media? They can. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, mm-hmm. um, Kimberly Quinlan LMFT. You can find me on Instagram, same, um, Kimberly Quinlan LMFT. Or I have a mindfulness podcast that I do um, mostly just for my clients and mm-hmm. for, you know, really just people who need backup mindfulness yeah. tools. Yes. Um, so that it's called Your Anxiety Toolkit. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's there too. If you if you kind of want more of the mindfulness tools, I don't do the one-upping on the mindfulness podcast. It's more just tools and meditations and, um, you know, yeah. sweet stuff. Uh, I, I can't overemphasize how much the listeners are going to love you for explaining all of this, being so open, um, playing this game, <laughs> being such a good sport, and and doing the work uh, that you do. I'm really glad our, our paths crossed. Oh, I am too. Thank you so much, Jen. I hope it helps. Yeah. What a, what a great human being. Uh, so enjoyed talking to her and uh, would love to have her uh, come back on the on the podcast. Uh, this episode will soon be transcribed and available on our website. Many thanks to Accurate Secretarial for donating their time and, uh, and helping out the show. Um, support for today's show comes from Audible. Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, and business information providers. Uh, unlike a streaming or rental service with Audible, you own your own books, so you can access them anytime, anywhere, from most, almost any device, including iPhone, iPad, Android, Amazon Fire tablets, or Windows Phone. Audible makes getting more books in your life easy. An unbeatable selection of audiobooks, incredible performances. I'm a huge fan of uh, biographies uh, on audiobook. Uh, They have a great selection. I uh, purchased Amy Poehler's, uh, Tina Fey's, Martin Short's, um, also... uh, Uh, biographies about people, any biography by Walter Isaacson, you cannot go wrong. Um, And they're always narrated by great people. Um, Walter Isaacson has written the definitive biography on whoever he writes about, you know, be it Ben Franklin or Einstein or Steve Jobs, it always becomes the definitive uh, 
biography. So uh, look for anything by him. And I swear to you, when you get into a good Audible audiobook, you will welcome rush hour traffic. You think I'm kidding? So get a free audiobook with a 30-day trial at audible.com slash mental. That's audible.com slash mental for a free audiobook with your 30-day trial. want to also give some love to our sponsor, HelloFresh. HelloFresh is the meal kit delivery service that makes cooking more fun so you can focus on the whole experience, not just the final plate. Each week, HelloFresh creates new delicious recipes with step-by-step instructions designed to take around 30 minutes for everyone from novices to seasoned home cooks short on time. HelloFresh sources the freshest ingredients measured to the exact quantities needed, so there is no food waste, and I can attest to that. Uh, It is uh, simple to prepare. Uh, It's sweet because you don't have to shop. It's a good way to practice self-care. There's no head scratching, and you get to slow down and be present. So uh, for less than 10 bucks a meal, how do you beat that? Uh, delicious ingredients you love to eat, simple recipes you'll live to cook. Come on, get cooking. So right now, you guys, I'm going to offer you a special offer and a special promo code. For 30 bucks off your first week of deliveries, visit HelloFresh.com and enter MENTAL30 when you subscribe. Once again, go to HelloFresh.com and enter MENTAL30 and you'll get 30 bucks off your first week of deliveries. You won't be disappointed, I swear. All right, let's get to some surveys. This is an awfulsome moment filled out by O for Cupcakes, O as in O-H. And she writes, This past summer, I had the most intense meltdown of my life that had been building for months. My anxiety got so terrible that I existed in a constant state of panic and vibration. At the absolute peak of these seemingly endless panic attacks, I finally sought help from my doctor who issued me some time off of work, just a couple of weeks, and increased my antidepressants, etc. After the break from work, I went back feeling a little bit better, but was then having anxiety over how I would be judged by my colleagues. My fears were realized when I had a chat with my immediate supervisor who told me that he had given up on me, taking time off of work was unfair to the other employees, and he asked I be removed from the department. This was my first day back. Fast forward to a bit later. I'm happy in my new department. However, now that my meds have reached the therapeutic level, I poop all the time. My old supervisor's office is a stone's throw away from the washroom. So I now take massive shits, leave the fan off, and the door open almost daily. You're welcome, dickhole. Oh, I fucking love it. I love it. This is... This is another awful moment. This is filled out by Always Bleeding. And uh, they write, I compulsively pick at my skin and bite the skin around my fingers. Years ago, while I was working at a bookstore, a customer came in and bought a gift card. The gift cards had to be filled out by hand, and I was the clerk who filled it out for her. 
The customer left the store but quickly came back in to complain that there was blood on the gift card she just purchased, and I had to pretend that I had no idea how it got there. She and I both knew how it got there. Fantastic. I tell you, it is Christmas when you guys fill out a good survey. It is especially the awfulsome moments and the happy moments. This is from an old survey that we don't have up anymore, but um, it's the question is, if uh, God exists, um, what would you say to God? And uh, so this is, I've got about 25 different responses uh, here from different people. Uh, what's the funniest joke you've ever heard? Who is the most compatible woman for me that has ever existed or ever will exist? That's a great question. Uh, I would say thank you for music and family and friends in this world. Why did you let me suffer? Fuck you. Honestly, I would. Um, I do not believe in God. A lot of those. We get a lot of those. Um, I'm so sorry I didn't trust you enough to to just do it afraid. Uh, hello, I guess it is true. Uh, I strongly believe there is no God, but if there was one, I'd ask him why he felt I should be physically and emotionally abused and also raped twice. If you exist, what is the point of all of this? How can you let those who claim to represent you cause so much pain and intolerance? And what's with allowing those who hurt children to get away without punishment? I thank you for the past and I pray for the future. Which religion is closest to the truth? Where did you go and why did you stop caring? How fucked up are you that you created so much suffering and pain? Why are men so superficial? Uh, all men are not superficial. Um, why do we have evil? Why did you steal, steal my unborn baby? What lesson were you trying to teach me by taking my baby? Well, these are heavy. Uh, who let me in here? If Adam and Eve had been patient, would they have been allowed to eat from the tree of knowledge when the time was right? Uh, why do you allow marriages to be broken? Why the fuck did my dad leave me at age 10 and then wait 13 years to, quote, find me? Why did he use Facebook and not a damn phone book? My mother kept the same phone number listed in case he ever wanted to call, but the asshole never did. And then the last one just says, please help me. It's amazing when you when you bring up, you know, when I first posted that question on our, uh, our old survey, I was just struck by the intensity. It's like it brings up feelings, positive or negative, from like the very depths of, of people. Uh, this is a, uh, an email that I got, um, and I tried to email this person back, um, but they had given me a um, an email address that doesn't work. So um, I was not able to correspond with them, but I wanted to read uh, their email. 
Uh, I'm not really sure why you include what people's sexual fantasies are. For instance, hearing about people wanting threesomes and hearing about what they'll do with their cum. It's uncomfortable and unrelated to the material presented, such as wanting to hear what it's like dealing with depression, anxiety, and other forms of mental illness from brave souls then out of nowhere hear information about sexual fantasies. Not sure how it connects. Maybe it connects in your mind, but it does not in my mind and makes me not want to listen to your podcast anymore. What is the point of that? To prove people have sexual fantasies and let others feel open? I'm opening up to say it's irrelevant and you should start a new podcast focusing on that element. It really throws people off hearing about that shit when they're going through a tough time or have been sexually abused. It's a trigger. Perhaps further education on mental health would benefit this project. Why not? Question mark because it will create a safer, more educated environment for your listeners. At some point, you would have to become an advocate for your listeners, not a creator of what you think should be talk, talked about like a closed book. Uh, and I wrote back, thank you for sharing your thoughts, and I'm sorry that portion of the show upsets you. The reason I do it is I am interested in people's sexuality, and especially the link between their childhoods and traumas and their sexual fantasies. I understand you would like more education on mental health, but I'm afraid that isn't my goal as I am not a professional and there are academics who would be much better resources for it than me. My goal is to encourage people to find help and remind them that they're not alone and their thoughts and fantasies aren't dirty or unhealthy. It's our actions that determine whether something is healthy or unhealthy. I hear uh, I hear you about being triggered. You're not the first person to wish there were trigger warnings, but to start doing them every time there was something potentially triggering would mean doing one every five minutes. You might try joining the forum for the podcast and sharing what your personal triggers are and asking people who've already listened to an episode if they think that episode would be safe to listen to. I hope that helps, and thank you again for making your feelings known. This is, uh, and the old me would have torn into that person because I would have been afraid that I really, uh, that I really don't care about people, that I really uh, um, am nothing but a perverted, uh, you know, whatever. And I know that is that is not the case. Uh, it's taken me a long time to get to the place where I. I can take in criticism because uh, I often get criticism that's totally valid. Um, but I think very long and hard about what I put into this show and how it will be received and what it is that I want to do with this show. Because after all, as many of you write, um, it is my show and I should do whatever it is that I want and I do. Uh, this is uh, from the struggle in a sentence, and uh, to, to the to the question, give us a snapshot moment that highlights one of your issues. This person writes, "I'm afraid that I'm going to mistakenly be a suspect for a murder and not have an alibi because I never hang out with people." That is that is t-shirt worthy. That is so fantastic. Thank you. I think a lot of us could very much relate to, to that one. 
Uh, this is from uh, this is a shame and secret survey, and this is filled out by um, an agender person. Uh, uh, they write they're kind of somewhere between female and agender. Um, so I will, uh, I guess it's okay to refer, uh, to use the pronoun she. Uh, she calls herself shit for brains. And uh, she is the place that, uh, the website that does these surveys, uh, they have changed uh, their software. And it, I am not happy. <laughs> I am not happy. Because now what used to come condensed into one or two pages is spread out into giant fonts over like five pages. And I'm sure there's a way around it, but I haven't figured it out yet. Uh, she is in her 20s. She was raised in a slightly uh, dysfunctional environment. Uh, she writes a gilded cage. Uh, she's never been sexually abused. Um, uh, and, but she also says some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. Uh, I'm kind of in this weird position right now where I distinctly know that something happened and I can recognize that I have a lot of trauma symptoms in common with sexual abuse survivors, but I can barely remember my childhood before the age of 12, and so I'm not sure what happened. Um, have you ever been physically or emotionally abused? Um, not sure. My dad threatened to kill me when I was 15. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? How desperately we wanted not to be the case that we will say, I'm not sure my parent threatening to kill me is emotional abuse. Uh, my dad threatened to kill me when I was 15 because I was friends with someone he didn't like. Your dad sounds like a terrific guy. Uh, other than that, and opening all my letters and checking my school emails and kind of interrogating me regularly about those which I guess, uh, about those which I guess is unhealthy. He's a pretty chill dude. My family is also really unhealthy. I'm my mom's therapist slash best friend slash subordinate. She kind of needs me to be around a lot and I know that's not really abuse. Oh no, that is abuse. That's emotional abuse. Uh, that is emotional incest. And uh, I highly recommend reading the book um, Silently Seduced or the book um, The Drama of the Gifted Child. Um, continuing, uh, she kind of needs me to be around a lot, and I know that's not really abuse, but it feels damaging and uncomfortable. By the way, if something feels damaging and uncomfortable, it, it it's abusive to you. It doesn't matter what that person's intent is the important thing here is to begin protecting ourselves, taking care of ourselves, and being. It is almost impossible to show compassion to others if we are allowing ourselves to be mistreated every single day. Um, it's not really abuse, but it feels damaging and uncomfortable. Like I don't really exist except as an extension of my parents, so that's probably bad parenting on their part. Um, yeah, and just because somebody is, is, is being a bad parent, it doesn't mean that is a bad person. It could be from ignorance. It could be because, you know, they have some type of mental issue or trauma or something where they are, you know, without getting help, incapable of acting otherwise. Um, so it's not about demonizing that other person. It's about giving weight 
to what we're feeling so that we can process it. Darkest thoughts. Um, violent fantasies occupy like 90% of my time. Self-harm, murder, you know, pretty normal and not at all concerning stuff. Uh, a weird thing that happens to me a lot is that I think I unconsciously give off an impression where people who wouldn't ordinarily talk about themselves within minutes of meeting me are spilling all their secrets and generally treating me like an unpaid counselor. It happens to my mother too. I hate this. And if you were one of the many, many people who have dumped their shit on me without so much as a, how are you? I'm sorry, but like you drain me and that makes me hate you too. Leave me to be a miserable shut in asshole in peace. And here's Here's a painful truth. It is not up to them to stop doing that to you. It is up to you to either say something from them to them or walk away. Because that is codependency. Putting all the blame on the other person. And I'm not saying that this doesn't suck and it's not real. It it it, it is. But um you have been trained to put your needs aside and be drained by other people. And it's time you took your power back because it is there. It'll be uncomfortable as fuck to start using it. Because uh, you know what they say, uh, when people pleasers stop pleasing, people aren't pleased. <laughs> but it gets easier every time. And that's part of, uh, I don't want to sound condescending, but that is part of being an adult, is learning to be okay with people around you not being satisfied with your, what you're doing or saying or how you're acting. Um, darkest Secrets. I watch straight porn. Uh, I, did I, I think I mentioned that the... She's a lesbian. I watch straight porn because I need to dissociate a little bit to be able to masturbate. And I would never have sex with a man, so it's easier to not empathize with generic white porn stars, number 32178, when they're playing at kind of awful rapey stuff, which I hate and feel kind of triggered by, but it's the only thing I can get off to. Speaking of triggers... Thomas the Tank Engine is one of mine. I don't know why, but my gut feeling says child sexual abuse. Uh, before I realized I was a lesbian, I was kind of manipulated. Um, I wasn't romantically attracted to him, but he was to me, and I felt like I had to force myself into believing uh, I reciprocated. Uh, and I was kind of manipulated into a really intense online relationship with a guy who probably needed me. He was living in the UAE, and United Arab Emirates and didn't have access to proper psychiatric therapeutic treatment. I left and he killed himself. And although I know I'm supposed to understand it wasn't my fault, that one was totally my fault. No, it was not your fault. One bit. Um, being traumatized, we are not at fault for. But what we do with that wound is our responsibility. And that guy had a wound and it was not up to you to treat his wound.
Sexual fantasies is most powerful to you. I hate talking about sexual fantasies and would probably get myself a, a clitorectomy if I could, but I'm really into awful, awful rape, but where the girl feels pleasure shit. I know it's probably a result of trauma. I hate myself anyway. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? Family, I'm a fucking lesbian. And yes, that does mean I am likely going to hell, but you don't need to bring hell to me while I'm still alive. Uh, P, uh, I used to be in love with you and probably still am, question mark, but like, don't worry about it. I'm in no state to try to convince you to reciprocate. And number three, don't pay attention to me, but please pay attention to me from a safe distance. Oh my God, that, that last one. Um, but all of them, especially the first one, don't bring hell to me while I'm still alive. That is so profound, so well put, but the don't pay attention to me, but please pay attention to me from a safe distance. That, that is, you know, the, one of the supports I support groups I go to is centered around intimacy, uh, issues. And, you know, the kind of the running joke is, uh, come here and leave me alone. Uh, what, if anything, do you wish for? I want to feel in control of myself and my life. I want to feel like I'm being respected as a person. I wish I could set boundaries with people. I wish I was slim and attractive. Um, you can set boundaries with people, um, but it might need, it might mean getting help to do it. So what is worse, the pain of continuing to live the way you are not being able to find the words or the strength to advocate for yourself or going to a group, meeting some like-minded strangers and possibly having an awesome life. Have you shared these things with others? No, I'm avoidant as all hell and don't tell anyone anything. I don't feel like anyone really cares beyond becoming mildly distressed at my nihilism so it would just inconvenience them and my mother in particular will to- particular will totally use that shit against me. No thanks. Don't share it with them. Don't share it with cynical people. Go to support groups and find people who have a different energy than that who are more open-minded and who understand what it's like to be living in the pain that you are living in. It is so healing. I'm going to get off my soapbox now. Um, I've also shared a couple of things with my therapist, and she's been very kind and helpful about it, but she's so parental, and I have mommy and daddy issues. How do you feel after writing these things down? Slightly relieved, but also very pathetic. You are so not pathetic. You are... You are a wonderful human being who has been raised in, in an emotional desert and you're thirsty. Would you blame yourself for being thirsty if you were wandering the desert? I would. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. Uh... But I would make jokes and then to apologize to uh, the nearest cactus that my joke was lame. This is a struggle in a sentence filled out by uh, Messy Head. And uh, they write, I feel safer 
repeating things four times. Oh, this is about their OCD. I feel safer repeating things four times. I feel safer re- repeating things four times. I feel safer repeating things four times. I'll give you a guess what the last one is. In case they're listening, you know what? In case they're listening, I'm not going to, uh, you know, from what I learned from Kimberly, I'm not going to, uh, what was the word, uh, enable them by reading it that fourth time. Look at me, all fancy and grown up. This is a happy moment filled out by Lyndon. And uh, she writes, October 16th is always a mixed day for me, being the anniversary of when an ex tried to kill me for leaving him after all of six weeks dating. Though that was nine years back, it's still a charged day, so I've taken to acknowledging it and doing things to look forward to. A massage, a favorite meal, a new blouse, etc. Last year took the cake, though. The night before was my engagement party, and my husband-to-be and I spent the night together. There was something really powerful about being together with the whole family and waking up to an embrace and gentle kiss from my husband-to-be. I don't know. It just hit me. You know, your family very well could be commemorating the day of your murder, and your soon-to-be husband would not have met you. It ended up being a wonderful morning, and we had a brunch together as a family. And you can bet I was incredibly grateful that I was alive to be a part of it. Thank you for sharing that. You know, I will read anything that mentions brunch. The guy that, the guy that totally misses the point. Um, and then finally, this is a happy moment um, from perfectly cromulent. I don't know what cromulent means. And uh, they write, Today my therapist made me realize that this is the first time in two and a half years that I haven't become extremely depressed after returning from a vacation because I actually like my life now. It was an incredibly powerful realization for me because the last few times I've come back from a trip, I stopped going to work and nearly lost my job because I couldn't get myself out of bed. I would enjoy myself while on the trip, but it would destroy my ability to cope with my regular life. This time, I came back happy, rejuvenated, and excited to return to my job and my apartment. This also highlights the importance of seeing a therapist, at least for me, because she sees my successes and makes sure that I notice them too. And then any comments to make the podcast better? Uh, nope, just can't wait to see you when you come to Minneapolis next month. I might cry, but it'll be cool. I love getting hugs from uh, from listeners when... Uh, when I do in-person stuff. So please do come up, come up for a hug and uh, tears are welcomed. There's nothing like a a good, uh, a good cry because you can't pretend (laughs) you can't. That's the awesome thing about crying is you, the jig is up. The jig is up. Uh, Anyway, thank you guys for, um, for um, being a part of this, filling out the surveys uh, welcome to any new listeners. I don't uh, know if this is the episode, uh, if this will be your first episode or not, but I think uh, BuzzFeed um, is planning on highlighting our podcast for Mental Health Awareness Week. Um, so if you're coming from from BuzzFeed, welcome. Hopefully this episode was a good introduction for you. Um, and just never forget that you're not alone. No matter what you're feeling, there is somebody else out there that knows how it feels and connecting to that person 
and getting honest and vulnerable is one of the best parts of life. And um, at least for me, it has been. And thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up I know in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up in some weird way.